Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. So this week, we're in Leviticus 16. That's where we're starting. Now, this week, we actually have two portions uh, throughout the Torah portion cycle. At times, there are two portions that are read at the same time in order to make uh, the year turn out right, given uh, whether or not there's a leap year in place and then how the, how the holidays fall. And this week, like last week, we, we have a double portion. We've got Aharemot and Kedoshim. And so we're going to touch a little bit on, on each of those. And we're going to start out in, in Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, 1 through 4 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holiest place behind the curtain, before the atonement cover, which is on the ark, so that he would not die. For I will be appearing in the cloud over the atonement cover. All right, so this portion is picking up uh, where the story had kind of left off six chapters ago. So if you remember back at the beginning of, or actually not at the beginning, actually it was, at the beginning of Leviticus 10, uh, the scripture talked about the death of Nadab and Abihu when they presented strange fire before the Lord. And now that day that that occurred was the day that the tabernacle had been erected permanently and the Aaronic uh, priesthood had been established and began to take over their service there in the tabernacle. So now this this portion is picking back up and referring back to that event in explaining uh, how Aaron should come into the Holy of Holies and that he's not to do it just at any time, but only one time a year and only under certain uh, certain conditions uh, in, in order to remove ritual defilement so that he could come into the presence of God and not die. Now, there's many thoughts on why Nadab and Abihu died. Um, there's various theories about uh, what they brought before the Lord, how they brought it, and whatnot. But when we read this passage here, it seems to suggest that they actually entered into the Holy of Holies, and that would have been a reason for their death. Now, the Holy of Holies, uh, I was thinking about it, it's it's kind of one of the most dangerous places on earth. <laughs> Funny enough, it's, it, that may be a little bit hard for us to grasp, right? How can the presence of God, be, which is so great and glorious, be such a dangerous place? And, and in that statement actually has the answer. Because of how great and glorious he is, he becomes dangerous to those who are not great and glorious who are stained with sin or are stained with a ritual impurity where they could not come into his pre into the presence of the perfectly holy and righteous God. And so now when we think about approaching God, we think about it in terms of how we approach God through Yeshua, right? Because Yeshua through his atoning death and resurrection and that he is seated at the right hand of God, and that he is entered within the veil with his blood, right? Because of that, we're able to come into the presence of God in the spirit, in the heavenly tabernacle. So that, that's generally how we think about coming into God's presence. And that, to us, does not sound, uh, it doesn't sound life-threatening because we're able to come near because of what Yeshua has done. And that's a good thing. And we want to draw near to the Lord. But here on earth, coming into his presence in still in the flesh that is defiled and stained with sin, it's a whole different story. Now, granted, right now the, the, the temple is not standing. There is no holy of holies to enter into. So it becomes kind of a, um, a thought that we're not accustomed to. So, but... But the, the thing is, if God's presence were in the Holy, the Holy of Holies, any temple today, 
that would be a dangerous place where we could not have access to, where only the high priest would have access to once a year. So we cannot, even the high priest, cannot enter into God's presence in a state of sin or ritual impurity. Otherwise, they would die. And so now why then did the the Torah, why did God decide that he wanted to take a break from the story in chapter 10 and spend, you know, chapters 11 through 15 talking about something else before coming back to the death of Nadab and Abihu and the Day of Atonement here in chapter 16. Well, if we look at what was taking, what was discussed in chapters 11 through 15, we find that it's all dealing with contamination and how to deal with contamination. It starts out looking at the the, the kosher laws and not becoming ritually contaminated through uh, the meats of or even the carcasses. Of, of animals. And then it goes on to talk about the, the case of the leper who has come under a, a physical malady due to a spiritual problem, right? And because of their spiritual problem, in the case that we discussed last week of the evil speech or the Lashon Hurrah, that person cannot be even in the presence of the community. He's been exiled and sent out until a time of repentance and healing when he could be restored back into the community. And, and then it talks about other, uh, the scripture talks about other kinds of ritual defilement that would prevent someone from coming into the presence of God or coming into the temple. And it gives the solution of immersion and, and a washing away of that defilement. So all those instructions in these intermediate chapters, we're talking about, cleansing of contamination that prevents people from coming into the presence of God. And so now when we come to the Day of Atonement, we're now seeing more about how the ritual contamination and the stain of sin is removed from the priesthood and from the tabernacle itself and from the children of Israel. So the, the Day of Atonements, actually, we, you know, often we call it Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement right? In the singular, but in the scripture, it's Yom, uh, Yom Kippurim, and it's the day, day of the atonements, okay? And so there's multiple atonements that are taking place on the day of atonement, and these atonements, as, as I mentioned, they, they cover the priesthood, they cover the tabernacle, the altar, uh, the sanctuary, and the children of Israel. Many different atonements taking place all at once, or not all at once, but all on the same day. Now, and I say not all at once because there were several sacrifices brought throughout the day, each one having a different function within uh, within the purification process, atoning for different things. The, the high priest would offer uh, a sin offering for himself. He would offer a sin offering for the children of Israel. He would offer elevation offerings as well. And all of these were for the purpose of atonement of this of this cleansing, of this uh, restoration and reconciliation. So we're going to take a look first of what's what's happening here on the Day of Atonements and talk a little bit about the the two goats that are offered up. So let's go to Leviticus 16 again. We're going to go to verse 5. So starting in verse 5, speaking about Aaron, then he is to take from the congregation of the children of Israel two he-goats for a sin offering, one for a ram and, and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron is to offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself in his house. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Aaron will then cast lots for the two goats, one, one lot for Adonai and the other lot for the scapegoat. Aaron is to present the goat on which the lot for Adonai fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat upon which the lot for scapegoat fell is to be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement on it by sending it away as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Now, in this case, between these two goats, the goats that were brought before the temple or before the priest were to be to look 
as identical as possible where you really couldn't tell them apart. It'd be the same size, same coloring, same markings. They, yeah, the only thing that was to be different between them was which lot fell on which goat. And so the, uh, the goats would, would be facing the temple. The priest would pick out one lot and the lot in his, well, he would, uh, one lot would fall for the Lord and one lot, lot would fall for the scapegoat. The one that would be for, that would be for the Lord would be offered as a sin offering. The other would be sent out into the wilderness after all the sins of the nation were, uh, were spoken over it. So basically at this point, the priest is to bring an, a sin offering for himself and then he's to bring an offering the sin offering of the goat for the children of Israel. So it happens in two stages. The first stage, the priest is going to take care of his own sin and the sin of his household. So we're going to read here. Leviticus 16, 11 through 14 says, Aaron is to present the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and so make atonement for himself and his house. He is to slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and to take a fire pan full of coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, plus two handfuls of sweet powdered incense and bring it within the curtain. Then he is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord so that the cloud of the incense may cover the atonement cover that is on the ark so that he would not die. He is then to take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the atonement cover on the east side. Before the atonement cover, he is to sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So this is this is the high priest's first venture into the holy place. Um, again, he's first brought an offering for his own sin and the sin of his household. And when he goes in to the place where the Ark of the Covenant is behind the curtain, he, he first presents an incense offering to create this cloud, which uh, covers over him and over the place where the presence of the Lord is is dwelling. Then he sprinkles his blood upon that mercy seat. Okay. Now, then he leaves the Holy of Holies and goes back out to perform the next sin offering because now that he has been uh, cleansed, now he is ready, he is pure, and can then go and make atonement for the children of Israel. So in verse 15, then he is to slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood behind the curtain. And do with it as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it upon the atonement cover and before the atonement cover. So he is to make atonement for the for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which dwells within them in the midst of their impurities. No one is to be in the tent of meeting when he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he is to go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and dab it around on the horns of the altar. He is to sprinkle sp some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Okay, so we see that he went in and presented this blood again, in the holy place for the sins of the children of Israel and for purification of the tent of meeting and the holy place, right? Okay. All right. Now, once he has actually done these sin offerings, the next thing that he does is he goes back out, out of the, out of the tabernacle, and begins to address the second goat. Okay. Now the second goat in Leviticus 16, 20 through 22 says, when he has finished atoning for the holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, then he is to present the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. He shall place them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat will carry all their iniquities by itself into a solitary land 
and he is to leave the goat in the wilderness. Okay, so this this last one was was the scapegoat, and all the sins of the children of Israel are proclaimed over it. So it bears all of the sins of the children of Israel, and then carries those sins out of the city into the wilderness, where the which is clearly symbolic of the, of the sins of the people being carried away here on this day of atonement, such that uh, their sins are removed from them. Now, you know, again, there's there's two goats, right, on this day of atonement. One dies and the other is released into the wilderness. Now, on Thursday night, we, we had our Torah study and we had some really, really good discussion about the, these two goats and talking about some of the image, imagery that we that we get from it of what has been done for us through our Messiah, right? Because he's certainly the one who has borne our iniquities and carried our griefs and and he has been the one who has carried those away from us and brought forgiveness of sin and cleansing. Now, if you recall from, from last week, we talked about the cleansing of a leper and how in that case, there were two birds that were part of the cleansing process where one died and the other lived. And now here, talking about the Day of Atonement, we again have a situation where there are two of the same uh, animal and one lives and one dies. And so, you know, we were talking about, well, how do these relate with one another? And there are some good ideas about the resurrection. There were good ideas about the atonement, uh, the death of one, the life of the other. And, you know, following up on, on that, began to look, began to look a little bit deeper into some of the imagery of this. And, I, th- I think it's it's building out a, a greater understanding. There's always more to for us to learn and grow in, um, and there are often many layers of symbolism and revelation to these passages. So what I'll share here is not necessarily the only interpretations of it, but certainly gives us a picture. Now, if you remember about the leper. The leper had come into a state of spiritual contamination, resulting in a, in a physical illness. And they were physically alive, but they had been exiled. They'd been cast out of the, out of the city. They were treated as though they were a dead person. Because if anyone were to come into contact with them, that person coming in contact would, would become contaminated as well, which is what the case of contamination through a corpse does. So it was really a dead man walking, even though he was alive and he had to be cleansed. So with the the cleansing that took place, I want to go back and just refresh our memories about what happened there in the scripture for how the leper was cleansed. In Leviticus 14.4, the scripture says, Then the priest is to command that that two clean living birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop, be brought for the one being cleansed. The priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in a clay pot over living water. As for the living bird, he is to take it, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them with the living bird into the blood of the bird that was killed over the living water. He is to sprinkle on the one being being cleansed from the tzara'at seven times and pronounce him clean. Then he then release the living bird over the open field. Okay, so... With that, we talked about some of the pictures of the Messiah and and the redemption that he brings, the cleansing that he brings, right? We talked about the one one dove uh, who died was a picture of Yeshua giving up his life, his blood being spilled. And then we had the second bird, which actually rose up out of that and was was uh, was set free. We talked about that being the the picture of the resurrected Messiah. Right, so the first one being the suffering Messiah, the second one being the resurrected Messiah who would who would reign, the Son of David, and and another picture that I could get out of that is thinking about how Yeshua had taken on the form of man, and so here he was fully in bodily form, just like his brothers. Right, so you have the two birds, Yeshua dies 
And then his brother becomes covered in the blood and the water of purification through what Yeshua provided and then is raised up and set free to go, right? So in it, there's there's the death of this righteous one and then that blood covering the other, right? And resulting in life and freedom for uh, for the other bird. So it's the, the life given from Yeshua to to the other one now so we have that picture then we have these two goats right now in this case i think we have thing we well the the image that i'm getting from this is is a reversal so when we're looking at the goat you have one goat who says okay well this one's for the lord it's going to die as a sin offering the other one it's going to be set free in the wilderness. You know, when we first look at that, we think, okay, there's the the one dies, the one who's set free. Well, that looks kind of good, right? Because it didn't die. You know, so, but the problem is that the one that's set free in the wilderness has had all the sins of the children of Israel laid upon it and now has been sent outside the camp into exile, actually. So, it's really the one that's bearing a death of sorts because it's no longer able to come into the presence of God, right? Because it's bearing all this sin, all this contamination. It's sent away in exile to die in the wilderness. Whereas on the other side, with the one that was chosen to be an offering, it's actually coming into the presence of God, right? Because it's coming, it's being... Its blood is being poured out, right? And then what happens to the blood of that goat? The blood of that goat, you know, normally with the sacrifice, the, the blood of the animal is, is splattered on the altar that is in the, in the courtyard outside of the holy place. But this blood of this goat is not poured out on the altar outside of the tabernacle instead it's brought into the holy place not just into the holy place it's brought all the way into the holy of holies where it is sprinkled on the mercy seat and then on the on the curtain and then it's also smeared on the golden incense altar inside the holy place so this one it's not uh it's actually given a much greater status right and what the key here is what's happening with the blood. All right. If we remember from Leviticus 17, 11, the Lord says the life of the creature is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. For it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life. All right. So if you recall from what we've talked about with the sacrifices, Normally, if, if someone's bringing an offering, they will, uh, they will lay their hands on the head of the animal and they will be imparting their identity into the identity, into the life of the animal. So then when the blood of the animal comes out, that life force of the individual is thereby taken and presented before the Lord. So in the case of this goat that's been chosen for the Lord, its identity is being brought into the holy place. Now, if we if we take a look at these goats and say, how do they represent Messiah? Well, we think about Yeshua, who is being who was the perfect sin offering, right? Whose blood is actually presented in the heavenly tabernacle, right? And it's presented in the heavenly tabernacle to cleanse that which is far greater than the than the earthly tabernacle and that he enters within the veil right and becomes the one who brings us in there so really the the goat that was chosen to be for the lord and the sin offering is the one that was given great honor and had greater purpose in bringing the children of israel into god's presence to the greatest degree that they could be here on the earth and then through yeshua he brought those who have faith in him into the closest relationship and proximity to the Lord in the heavenly temple that anyone ever could. So it's a, those are, that's a, a neat picture. But then on the other side, we know that Yeshua also 
bore all the sins of the children of Israel and of us. He carried them away such that we could be forgiven. So in that, in this, just as he, we could see him in, in both of the doves, we can see him in both of the goats. For one thing, he, you know, once he took on the sins, he was taken outside the camp and crucified there. In the case of this goat, it was taken outside the camp into the wilderness to die. So, um, just a neat, neat picture of what, what Yeshua has done for us and how God was pointing to the work of Yeshua. Now, you know, the Lord was accomplishing something certainly in the physical with the Day of Atonement, but then he was also pointing to the work that would be done through Yeshua and in the, the life everlasting that we receive through him. Now, the Day of Atonement was for cleansing the temple and the nation here on the earth. And in Leviticus 18.25, the scripture speaks about how the land can become contaminated through the sins of the people. Last week, we talked about how a building can become contaminated through the sin of evil speech, right? Because we saw buildings that could actually take on this sara'at, this leprosy, and have to be uh, condemned if the, if the situation did not uh, improve. Well, even as buildings can become contaminated and the land can, be, can, can become contaminated, so also the temple can be, be stained with the sins of the children of Israel, which is part of why atonements were done for the tabernacle, the sanctuary, and for the altar. It too was being cleansed of the of the stain that of all the sin that had happened in its midst, and how uh, people had had come there to the temple. Now, in Leviticus sixteen, verse twenty. It kind of summarized some of the some of the atonements that had taken place here. It says when when he had finished atoning for the holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, then he used to present the live goat. Right? That's something that we might off you know might be prone to miss is that yeah there was an atonement for things beyond just the high priest and the children of Israel. It was it was atonement all around which actually is, you know, alluding even to the restoration of all things, right? Because we know that uh, God's in the, in the process and in the business of restoring all of creation. He's about restoring his people and he's about restoring the land and all that it contains such that his presence may dwell here on the earth. Now, while we're talking about these atonements that are that are happening for for the physical temple and for the children of Israel, within the apostolic scriptures we see quite a bit of talk about the the cleansing of our of our bodies, of our conscience, of our of our flesh, and that we are a temple, right? And I want to look real briefly here at Hebrews nine thirteen through fifteen. It says, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant in order that those called may receive the promise or the promised eternal inheritance since the death has taken place that redeems them from violations under the first covenant. All right. So with this, you know, we, we see that the writer of Hebrews is talking about how these, the, you know, like the day of atonement and these offerings that were made in the temple, they were effective for the cleansing of things here on the earth, but they were not sufficient for cleansing things of the spirit or the conscience or anything that would have been in the heavenly tabernacle and that Yeshua that his blood being greater than that of bulls and goats was able to cleanse the heavenly sanctuary and open the way to eternal life even cleansing the, the conscience and the spirit of those who who trust in him 
so we see, okay, the, the, the overarching picture here is the stain of sin and ritual impurity had to be removed for the presence of God to, to dwell in essentially perpetuity in a place, right? If the stain of sin were to increase over and over to a point where his presence couldn't dwell, then his presence would lift from the tabernacle. And so too, the, the bodies of man, the temple of man has to be cleansed for the presence of God to come and dwell within. And so Yeshua cleanses our temple, right, through his blood, and he cleanses our conscience such that we are able to then be those who receive the Holy Spirit and walk in the presence of God. And, and through this walking in the presence of God, we become agents of restoration along with Yeshua in, the, in this world. Now, just as the leper was, was the living dead, right? There's a dead man walking. So too is what our, our situation was before we received the cleansing from Yeshua. And then now what, what then happens once we've been cleansed, right? Well, in the case of, of the leper from last week, it says that once he's gone through his purification, then the priest comes and stands him before the Lord. Wow. Brought before the presence of the Lord. So now that Yeshua, you know, likewise, now that Yeshua has come and cleansed us, he takes us and stands us before the Lord, right? And so that's, that's a beautiful picture. And then from there, now that we've been cleansed, now that we've been made holy, now that we've been declared righteous before the Lord, we then have a new way of life to walk in, right? And, and that's what we see when we, when we continue on. Once the, once the Day of Atonement is done in its discussion, then we begin to go through and read through the rest of Aharemot and then into Kedoshim what the Lord has given as ways that the people will be set apart and how they will walk in righteousness now that they have come into this new place of purification and, and sanctification. And... Leviticus 20, verses 7 through 8, he says, Sanctify yourselves and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You are to keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Right? And within these commandments that we read about, the Lord is, is telling us how to be set apart. He's telling us to love our neighbor and to, uh, to be honest to have just measurements. There's a, a whole list of commandments given. I, I believe that they say there's 81 commandments given in Aharemot and Kedoshim, quite a bit. And one of the things about it, in Leviticus 18.5, he says, so you are to keep my statutes and my ordinances. The one who does them will live by them. I am the Lord. So, Within these commandments, there's life, right? He says, the one who does these commandments will live by them. You know, um, the sages, when they look at these, this verse, they said, well, the, the commandments are not given for death. They're given for life, such that those who perform them, um, well, it, it, will, it will be life-giving, to them and to each other. Because, you know, when you go to what Yeshua said about what the greatest commandments were, it was to love God and love your neighbor, right? And that everything hinges upon those commandments. Well, if we truly love God and love our neighbor, we will experience life and our neighbor will experience life. We will truly live by these commandments. And when I was thinking about keeping these commandments and the life, I just kept going to the thought about how Yeshua is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And no one comes to the Father but through him. But he he's the life. And it made me think about John 5. And so I want to I read this passage. 
in John 5, Yeshua is talking to, to the Pharisees and he says, Search the scriptures in which you say you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, yet you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from God alone? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in, in whom you have put your hope. For if you were believing Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? All right. So the things that stood out to me is that, well, when I first read this, this passage, I, I didn't read this translation. I, I read a translation that said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but it's these that speak of me, you know, and historically when i read that passage I, I what i had seen in it was yeshua saying you're looking in the wrong place i'm right here right you need to receive me but then it come to find out that where it says you search the scriptures it's actually a verb in the command form where he says search the scriptures in which you think you have life because they talk about me. He wasn't saying you're looking in the wrong place. He said, you're looking in the right place. You need to look at it and realize that I am in it. Right? Because then if you recall, how did he wrap up what he was saying? He said, but if he says um, here, but if you, if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? Right? Right there, he's, he's saying, you need to believe the words of Moses, right? Because they will point you to me, and then you can believe my words, knowing that my, the, the words of Yeshua are founded on the Torah, and, that are, and his words are pointing you to God, right? It was about the, the condition of the heart of the people who were studying the scriptures, you know? The, the Pharisees who he was talking about, they read the scriptures, they knew the scriptures, but they just didn't have right understanding of the scriptures and how they pointed to Yeshua and revealed him. They were receiving testimony from man about who man is, but they were failing to see the testimony that God had given about who the Messiah was. And so he was saying, go back, search the scriptures because they reveal me. You know, and then now, now when you find me in there, you can trust my words and you can follow me. That's life, right? I mean, that's, that's aligning the life of Yeshua with the life that we receive through Torah because the, the Torah leads us to Messiah. It leads us to become like Messiah, right? Um, not to be the same as him. Uh, for, you know, Yeshua says in, in Luke 640, he says, you know, a disciple when he is fully trained will be like his master. Well, that's who we're to be, you know, and we get to be like him by searching the scriptures and finding out the revelation that God has given us of himself, right? He, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. He gives us a roadmap of what that looks like. He doesn't say just, I'm holy, figure it out. You know, he says, I'm holy. Here's a revelation of who I am. Now you go and do these things and in it, you'll find life and it will lead you to Messiah in whom you will have everlasting life. Right. Because it's one thing to have life here on this earth, which is good. But, you know, the commandments aren't sufficient to get us to life in the world to come. Right. Because. There's no one who could ever keep the commandments perfectly such that they're completely free of sin or defilement, of course, except for Yeshua. And then it's through his work that we are then brought into eternal life. But it's still, it's this, uh, it's this realization of both the physical and the spiritual that together become complete because we've been given this 
spiritual life through Yeshua. And now we mirror that. We have that reflected in our physical lives as we carry out his commandments. And when, when we speak about, you know, the words of Yeshua, he speaks about believing his words. Well, what, what else did he say about his words? He said that his words will endure. Even though heaven and earth pass away, his words will endure. And so the, the key, again, to the passage that we read here in John 5 was really the condition of the heart of the people who were seeking and, and, and reading the scriptures and seeking to know God. Was their heart submitted to the Lord in all things? Were they coming to the Lord with humility and with a, with a teachable attitude and saying, well, you know what? I care more about the testimony of God than I do about the testimony and glory of man, such that we can receive the truth and, and to walk in it. And so we, you know, with, with like with the Day of Atonement, the scripture says, humble yourselves, right? Afflict yourselves. And in that, there's, there's a humbling that takes place. Once we come to a place of humbling ourselves, then we can come to that place of teachability, that we can come to that place of really loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? And what does that require? That requires a laying down of offenses. It requires a laying down of, of, of really what we feel like we're entitled to. And, and I keep, kept thinking about this week about the connections to the Sermon on the Mount, right? When Yeshua kept talking about blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, right? And he goes on and, and talks about, uh, you know, how we're to go an extra mile, how we're to not seek retaliation or revenge or, or anything like that, but we're to really humble ourselves. And by humbling ourselves and emptying ourselves, emptying ourselves of ourselves, of our ego, we create a space for the presence of God to come and dwell and have his way, which is exactly what Yeshua did when he emptied himself, right? He made himself into a vessel that could be fully filled by the spirit of God, such that all the works that he did were the works of the father, right? He, he spoke about earlier in John 5, he was speaking about why he heals on the Sabbath, right? And that he tells the, the people that he's doing the work of his father. Just as the father is active, he is active. And, you know, so, so why heal on Shabbat, right? Why heal on Shabbat? It's because it's part of restoration. So the scripture says that in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested, right? He rested from creative works, but he never stopped in his work of the restoration of all things and um, of seeking to engage his people and, and bring that restoration. So Yeshua, seeing that, knowing that, being led by God, said the Sabbath is a day of rest, ceasing from, from creative works, right? But it's also a day of restoration. And until the restoration is complete, every day is a day for bringing healing and, and partnering with God in that restoration. And, that, and that's really what we do when we empty ourselves, when we set our hearts towards holiness, when we say, you know what, God said to, to set ourselves apart so that we don't look like the rest of the world, such that the world can see something unique. They can know us by our love. We can, uh, that we can also partner with him in this restoration. But that's, that's the gift given to those who have been cleansed and redeemed, that we could actually be stood in the presence of God and then have his light shine through us. Um, and as I was thinking on this affliction and, and part of this restoration, I was thinking about Isaiah 58, because on, on the Day of Atonement, we we fast, right? We, we fast from, from food and from water in order to afflict our souls. And, and in Isaiah 58, the Lord talks about the kind of fast that he chooses. And he says, Isaiah 58, 6, 
Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the, fi- of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will become like midday, and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and give strength to your bones, and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins, You will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That is rebuilding the ancient. That, that ties into uh, our halfway reading, right? From Amos 9, verses 7 through 15. It talks about uh, the, the tent of David being restored, being raised up in the last days. This is what we're given to do. This is walking out holiness and righteousness, right? Throughout it, you can, I mean, I, I see Kedoshim, I see the Sermon on the Mount, I see Isaiah 58. It's this call really to loving our neighbor and loving well because it brings restoration. It brings restoration to the individual, right? It brings restoration to us, but it brings, it brings restoration to the land and it creates a place for God to dwell. Man, so it's a it's a mighty calling to respond to to the Lord saying, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." Right? He's called us to be like Him, and He shows us exactly how to do it. He removed every obstacle out of the way so that we could do it and we could walk in it. And uh, I just give praise and thanks to God for that. Uh, so yeah, may we be the ones who together walk in holiness encouraging each other in the day to to be faithful to the Torah, to be faithful to the words of Yeshua, to give freely, for we have received freely, and to be this light and the ones who raise up the age-old foundations. I actually had a, a dream. You know, how I, I mentioned the other day that I've, I've had a, uh, more dreams in this season, and there was a dream that I had that was about raising up and raising up a fallen building and restoring uh ancient doors actually <laughs> it's uh fascinating but that's what we've been given guys and it's 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 not a light calling it's a it's a heavy calling right i mean in, in that it is it's grand it's great uh it, it's of eternal significance you know, it's not just significance in this world. It will have everlasting results. But we, we've been invited into it. We've been invited into it. Yeshua standing at the door and knocking and asking to come in and to dine with you, with me. Right? And everywhere that we invite him in, he can come in and cleanse it. Right? No matter what the situation is, no matter what the obstacle is, no matter how long the wall has stood, it can fall. Whatever has held you back can be broken down. Whatever area of hurt that has been hidden away can be, can be restored such that you can walk in wholeness. Right? We're no longer a dead man walking. We're the one who stands before the Lord through the, through the blood of Yeshua, that he's all right. He's, he's, 
at our side. He's our advocate. And so may we, uh, may we find strength in him to pursue him in full confidence, knowing that we can draw near through his righteousness and provision. Amen. Lord, you're, you're glorious. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us. Lord, that you, you walk with us. That you call unto us. And I thank you that we are not left as orphans. Lord, I ask that you would minister to us in a greater me- measure this week. Lord, that we that scales would fall off of our eyes, that anything that's blocking our ability to hear would be removed. I ask you to tear down everything that has been built up, either by us or by the enemy, to prevent us from going forward. Anything that's been spoken against us to hold us back that, is, that has hindered our walk with you or our ability to move forward in what you've called, Lord, I ask that you strike it down, Lord, that you destroy those things. Lord, where, where things have fallen, Lord, I ask that you would show us how to raise those up, Lord, raising up these, these gates that the Lord may come in, Lord, we invite you in. Lord, may, the, may you be the desire of our heart. And may we walk according to your word, that we may live and share your life with others. We ask these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.